Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're reviewing this episode is Strangeness in the Proportion by Joshua Allen Deach. Joshua Deach once built a flesh golem out of grave-robbed parts and uneaten Halloween candy. By strange chance, this golem is fueled by rejection slips. Every day it begs and it pleads, Please, kind sir, keep me alive. So Joshua writes. You can thank anyone who accepts his work for allowing the poor golem to go hungry for another day. Josh is from Chicago and was writing video game dialogue in Norway and is currently in Montreal for his next writing gig, where he lives with a one-eyed black cat named Raven. He has a fondness for fedoras, finds happiness in voodoo doll smiles, does a pretty mean Christopher Walken impersonation, and once upon a road trip dreary wrote a blues song about necrophilia. He also writes fascinating internet profiles in the third person. The synopsis for this book is short and super, super sweet. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back one piece at a time. I give, uh, I'm going to give my own synopsis because for once it's, uh, it's longer than the book's actual synopsis. So uh, the book follows Simon Meeks, who is a pathologist with a kind of interesting ability, aided by absinthe-fueled highs and uh, autopsies. Uh, Simon can communicate with the dead. So when his latest patient, a young Jane Doe corpse, arrives, Simon falls head over heels in love. Now he needs to find out who killed his love. Right off the bat, I just want to say we've been really looking forward to... Well, we've just been waiting a while to uh, to do a review on this book. We first talked to Josh about this back when our podcast was pretty, pretty new and uh he had had it finished and was going through the process of actually getting it published and everything so it's been on our radar for a long time and i'm really happy that we're finally uh able to to do it some justice on the show absolutely um it's (laughs) you know what can you say about this book um the premise itself lends uh you know it just lends to how how bizarre and twisted this this book is um it's about a guy who kind of uh not quite Bruce Willis style sees dead people, but um, his ability comes in. He's he's addicted to absinthe, which is a uh, up until recently, I guess, was banned in the United States. It's the the famous uh, drink that uh, Vincent Van Gogh was drunk on when he cut off his ear, and you know, there's all kinds of other you know legend around it. But at any rate, so while he's doing these autopsies, when he's drinking absinthe, once he just reaches inside somebody, he kind of goes into this his own kind of place with the dead person it's something he refers to as the dead water where he can you know commune with these people and and he uses a lot of the information uh, you know to find out what happened to uh to uh, some of the the patients that you know he has to do autopsies on yeah so uh, up until the point that the book starts he had essentially just been kind of a kind of known as a weirdo he works for the the city morgue or whatever so we do autopsies on you know victims and stuff of crimes and uh, everybody just thought he was kind of strange because he loved hanging out with the dead and everything and so once Jane Doe comes along um, and he kind of falls for her the story kicks in with this uh, not a whodunit but like he's got this purpose now outside of doing autopsies where he's got to find the people that did this to her and, and all the things that come out of that take it a step further because it's actually in the book synopsis um her body actually goes missing and uh, simon just freaks right out and uh needs to get his girl back so that's that's really the driving force behind behind this book and um not <laughs> this can't be emphasized enough it's a dead body that he's in love with <laughs> it's uh it's definitely a dead body <laughs> yeah um, and we say that and we kind of laugh. So I'm going to start off because a lot of times we wait till the end of the show to say some of the most important things I think about the book, or at least till we do our kind of wrap up. And uh, as crazy and whacked out and as much as we're going to giggle through this episode, I want to say that this is actually a very, very um, sweet book. I mean, it's just it's just a very endearing story, this this love that Simon has for Jane and, and just his character in general. So you know, we're going to talk about him being kind of this weirdo who, you know, prefers the company of the dead over the living, and it sounds super morbid, and it is, but it's super morbid in a really heartwarming kind of way. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, and that's, that's a point that, like, Josh in this book introduces a lot of really... I guess morbid or weird or grotesque 
things, but he does it in a way where it just feels normal. So you never feel like grossed out or it, it doesn't ever feel like it's too much. Just everything he introduces, I don't know what he does in his writing, but it's just like, oh, and then this happened. And it's just, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it feels normal. Am I right about that? Did you feel that way, Livius? Yes. And I think, and I gave this a lot of thought, I think that a lot of that comes from just really how well he has you just rooting for the hero. I mean, we see we see the vast majority of this book through Simon's eyes, so it's only as gross to us as it is to him. So when he has a legitimate reason or a logical reason for, you know, making a statement or doing something, I think you're just so bought into his character that no matter what he does, you're kind of, you're right there with him and you're sympathetic. So it makes everything less grotesque or morbid or, or whatever, you know, whatever that particular, you know, passage would mean to you out of context. And you, you guys will see that during the quote section. I think that we'll read some. And if you understand the character, you'd understand, you know, that it's not as weird as it comes off when you're reading it. Very well put. Do you want to talk about some of the characters? Well, there is uh, certainly Simon Meeks, uh, a little bit more about him. He's your classic um, no social skills, um, you know, kind of reject, has never had any real human contact, you know, refers to the one girlfriend that he had prior to Jane Doe as, you know, it's like an eighth grade dance and they spend, you know, a couple of hours playing under a table or something along those lines. So, um, you know, no social contact with anybody. He's just kind of a misfit. Uh, so there's him. Before you go on, <laughs> one of the ways that they, <laughs> and I just remember this when you were saying that, that he, he illustrated how he, how Simon usually interacts with women. And I think this is a good contrast is they have him on a blind date at one point. And <laughs> the woman is just this, this uh, really, she talks a lot and she's kind of, well, she's obviously boring to him, but she's just, <sighs> I'm trying to think of the best way to describe her. Your typical, typical kind of shallow materialistic woman. And, and Simon's on a date with her and he keeps kind of zoning out and thinking about dead people and stuff while she's talking and then realizes at certain points that he's supposed to say something and it's it's very comical, it's a very comical scene but it's a good contrast to how he acts with uh, this, this corpse that he falls in love with this. then there's Jane Doe there's really not a whole lot to say about <laughs> about her um, because she's dead and uh, and actually, she's absent for a good portion of this book. So even though she's the catalyst for everything Simon does from, you know, basically page one, um, she's an integral part to the book, but not a lot to say about her as a character. Mm -hmm. Then you've got Nix, N-Y-X, who's uh, this tattoo artist that Simon meets when he's uh, looking for a little bit of help uh, in his, his journey and everything. And She's the head of something called the Obsidian Sanctuary, which is a, a essentially a support group for people like Simon who uh, they're a little, I guess, weird, but they're they've had interesting encounters with, you know, maybe you know the supernatural and stuff like that. So she heads up a support group to uh, help people through stuff and and make them feel stronger and more independent and stuff like that believers I, I just came up with this idea like they're believers yeah so they, they they're looking for proof but they really very strongly believe that there's something else out there so they have their reasons because of weird things they've seen or whatever so yeah. and one of the reasons um the other character I mentioned uh, who also doesn't isn't a big part of the book but again a very interesting quirky character is ichabod knock um, the best way I could think to describe him is he's kind of a collector of urban legends. He's uh, he's the author who's made his name off of, you know, documenting all the weird things that happen in, in locally in Illinois where the book takes place. And he's just a very, very bizarre character, but he's another one who was a, a believer that, you know, kind of, I guess it all went to his head and went a little too far and drove him a little nuts. And he, he becomes somewhat of an urban legend himself, like uh, the things that he's gone through and seen and stuff, uh, at least within the Obsidian Sanctuary, they refer to all the, you know, the things he's done and he's capable of and everything. And he becomes kind of an urban legend within a, a pile of urban legends or something. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of his his part that he plays in the story is that he's got information that Simon needs to, to get uh, where he needs to go and stuff like that. So, it, <laughs> the way <laughs> I don't know how this is how you pictured him, Livius, but I, I definitely pictured like your uh, <laughs> kind of a guar type, you know, 
weird rock star kind of guy who wears leather pants and like sits on thrones and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I picture him something along those lines. When you said Guar, I was like, like a fat guy with a mask. But um, <laughs> yes, I understand what you're saying. I picture him as like a really scrawny kind of older, long haired. Yeah. Like, like Ted Nugent. Like your typical. <laughs> so we're going to Ichabod Knox's house when the. Uh, That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> when the zombie apocalypse comes upon us. Yeah, that's just a few of the characters. I mean, this is a pretty large cast of characters in this book, and some of them come and go rather quickly. Um, but there's, you know, all the people uh, who make up the Obsidian Sanctuary. Um, just a lot of quirky characters. A really endearing young lady named Robin. Uh, I'm not going to mm. talk about, but I mean, just again, it was one of those that it reminded me um, a little bit of in Stranger Will, there was a young boy and I don't remember his name, but who was just a very, very small part, but every part that he was in, like you felt this like kind of compassion or sympathy for him, you know, and just like this kind of, this kind of warmth towards this character. So that's Robin does that. Um, and yeah, just a bunch of really weird people throughout the book, including a, a police officer. I don't know if you pronounce his name, Paul, Paul house, Paulus, maybe. Um, who's kind of like the local resident bully too? Another interesting character. Yeah, and then the, there's groups. There's tons of groups. Like the more that we talk about this book, the more I realize just how much went on in it. Like there's um, there's <laughs> there was it the gastronome irregulars. Is that what mm-hmm. they were? Which was a group of um uh, of people, rich people who it's an exclusive club where people would uh, I guess the whole idea was you would eat the most exotic things and everybody would try to one-up each other with the exotic types of meals and foods that they could find to the point where obviously at some point cannibalism is introduced. And there's another similar group, like an exclusive group of rich people that, that kind of tie into uh, the, the body going missing and stuff like that. There's just so many, so many characters that like, yeah, it, it's just, it's a really, we, it, it'd be ridiculous for us to try and tell you about all of them. Ridiculous, but it would be fun. <laughs> so, classifying this book is something I've been thinking about over the last couple of days, and I just flat out don't have a way to classify it. I mean, it's it's part horror, it's part comedy overall, and I realize I'm probably in the minority here. But if someone said, hey, you know, just in two, three words, what is this book? I'd say love story. I agree. Um, yeah, a horror love story, I guess is the best way I could say it. Yeah, hey, three words, horror, love story. Yeah. There's so much to say about it. That's the thing. Like, I, I, I know that I'll forget half of the awesome things to say about it. But, um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's such a, a complex I mean, say complex is not difficult to read. It's just so involved. There's so much in it that it's tough to, yeah, get it all out in one quick review. Yeah. Um, again, you're right. There, there's, and I just, I have a list of things I want to say about it. And that's the problem is, you know, how much do I just pile on into this? But, um, it, you know, Deech just writes in this very clever um, funny, but still like very, very intelligent humor. I mean, he makes some kind of veiled references to some things and you'll have a good example of that when we get to the quote section. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, that I, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to jump ahead to quotes, but you know, I, I tease Rob because Rob goes, Oh, I've got, I've got 20, I've got 20 quotes. And so I'm going through and I read this on two different devices. So I was reading in PDF and so I go through and I go, man, I've got 17 quotes, huh? And then I realized that I switched to this device later and went back and saw that I had seven other ones in like five of five of them from like the first official chapter. Yeah. That's all I did was highlight stuff like the entire time I was, I was reading this book. So. Yeah. And, and in, in addition to the way, like the intelligent kind of funny stuff, like Livius was saying, like he, he puts a lot of just really interesting stuff, like lots of little factoids and stuff and whether they're true or not. Um, they're just really cool. So the, the story is based in Chicago land area, mostly in Chicago proper, but also a little bit uh, of the surrounding area. And he does a really good job of, of um, giving enough information and facts 
to make it interesting without making it boring or going, you know, beyond what he needed to. So he's got a really good sense of what's enough. And an example of that would be, there's actually a part that takes place in a place called Volobog. So there's a town probably about 40, 45 miles outside of Chicago called Volo. And the only reason I know this is because I live probably two miles away from it. Um, and there's a bog in Volo. So it's, it's like a state park or whatever. And, at one point, Simon has to go to Volo Bog for some reason, and it's not as simple as he just goes there and does what he's supposed to. Josh, you know, sprinkles in a couple facts about uh, how the bog was, you know, created through nature, you know, years and years ago or whatever, and and just some little factoids about the life, you know, the plant life and animal life and stuff like that. And it's not in a way that it's boring. It's in the way where you're like, hey, that's pretty neat. I wonder if it's true. But it doesn't detract. He does, like like I'm saying, just enough to make it interesting without making you feel like, you know, you flipped over the National Geographic or something like that. Should we have another uh, booked field trip and go to Volo Bog? Of course. <laughs> We're recording live from Volo Bog. We <laughs> may have to wait until it's a little warmer out. Um, but he does that a lot, not just with the... Like the Volo Bog, but in you know, bits he's talking about Chicago and stuff like that. The, um, he drops these little cool facts and stuff um, about the history of Chicago, and it was a meatpacking um, industry was was what drove Chicago back in the day in the 1800s and stuff like that. And it's very true. And he does just enough to give you that kind of backdrop of history without blasting your mind away with every you know stupid goddamn fact about meatpacking you'd ever want to know. Absolutely agreed. I mean, this was just a very all-around, well-put-together piece of writing, and, and there's so many different great elements um, that go in that go into making up this book. God damn it, I love Simon Meeks. Like I've been trying to like keep it cool about it. This Simon Meeks is, yeah, I used the word earlier, the most endearing character I have read in a really, really long time. Yeah, Josh writes great characters. Simon Meeks. Uh, as weird or offbeat of a dude as he is um, you really get to like him and you, and you you want him to succeed you you're, you're rooting for him in a big way and and so and then kind of by extension the the obsidian sanctuary you 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 grow kind of an affection for them as well so um, it's yeah he writes characters very well in a very thoughtful way I think is the way I would put it yeah and you know the more we're talking about it, the more I think like Meeks should be kind of the anti-hero because we're really rooting for him to to get his dead girlfriend back, which you wouldn't think you'd root for someone to do that. But yeah, I mean, there's really, and, and I'll be honest, there was probably, there was probably two, maybe three parts in this where I was I was getting a little emotional through reading this. So I mean, as, as, as jokey as this book can sound from, from the description, you know, there's some really, really heartwarming stuff there. And it's kind of a parallel, like the parallel that I would make, and then this this could ruffle some feathers but it might not i mean i think it's pretty apt is uh there's there's two things the, the <laughs> i think about kiss me judas and how that premise is basically your most basic urban legend but what chris will christopher bear did with it was he turned it into a book that you know is is great it's fantastic so he took something that sounds really campy and goofy and he made it something that no one could have probably ever expected to come of it mm-hmm. and the other thing is is it penny dreadful the second one yes so the general feel of of the book in a lot of ways reminded me of of will christopher bear's second phineas poe book penny dreadful and penny dreadful was this kind of like live-action role-playing game was was kind of throughout the whole book there was this whole role-playing game thing and so it had all these elements of like weird uh gamey supernatural-ish kind of stuff and i had a similar feeling with uh strangers in the proportion with all the uh, supernatural stuff that was going on in it as well you know, I hadn't thought about that, especially what you said about Penny Dreadful. But you, you know, it. You're right. Now that you say that, and it's odd that you brought up that those particular books because when I was just talking about Simon Meeks and when I said I haven't read his endearing a character in this long time, the first person that popped in my mind was Phineas Poe as the last character I found that just that that I liked this much. 
Yeah, and they're in similar situations. They're just, you know, they're just your odd characters. They're both, they're both trying to retrieve body parts. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very similar. So I think that readers of Bear would be comfortable reading something like this, even though this is definitely more supernatural. I mean, you know, at points you have um, actual vampires in the book and uh, other kind of ghouls and creepy crawlies like that. But... um but the feeling of the book, the, the general tone of it, is, is very reminiscent of like the way you feel when you're reading Will Christopher Bear. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. God damn it, this was a good book. <laughs> I know. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to straight face this, face this as much as as possible. But talking to Livius, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but talking to Livius before we recorded this, I, I did not hesitate to say that of the thirty six or so books that I've read this year, this is definitely top three. Yeah, easily. Easily. And I'm sure we'll talk about more than that in the actual wrap-up, but yeah. Um, do you want to do quotes? Because I think that the quotes will help kind of give the uh, more of an idea of the tone of it. I've got about five that I want to do, but like Livia said, he had 24, I think, at the end, and this might be the first time that you've got more than me, but I still had easily 15 or so. Yeah, hey, then I'm going to go first, so that way I don't have to do like seven in a row. Just break them up a little bit. Yeah. And the first one I'm going to do is probably going to be the longest one that I'm going to read. And this wasn't on my original list, but I was flipping through this PDF document. I came across this one again, and I wanted to give a... Uh, it's just such a great description and a great line. The chalk outline greets Simon. Orange lines mark the sidewalk with a hopscotch court, complete with a head on top and hands drawn on the cross-section ends to form a crude body. Wild orange hair splayed about, X's for eyes, and the hopscotch girl stares up at Simon like a kindergarten crime scene. And that's like every page you get that. Not exaggerating, that's just every page you get something like that. Do you want to do a couple in a row, or you want me to take one? Sure, you know what? I'm going to do two, because they're very similar. But <laughs> I think I'm just going to read this whole damn book to everybody. Um and this is what I was going to cop for the, for the, for the synopsis, not the official synopsis, but um, this is the story. And the story goes, Simon meets Janie D at work. She tells him who hurt her. She smiles. This is love. This is rigor mortis. Mm-hmm. And hand in hand with that, because he repeats that line a little bit throughout the book. In autopsy room six, Jane Doe's hand moves, squeezing Simon's. This is rigor mortis. This is love. Yeah, it seems like that where it's like I shouldn't be feeling the emotion, but I'm touched by that, you know? That's exactly what I said is that, you know, is is weird once you get to understand the character, um it it it's not at all strange. So and I'm going to throw one more out there and then I'm going to let Rob go for a little bit cuz I think these three probably go pretty well hand in hand. He paces and thinks of her pallid face, her cool hands. He takes out a scalpel and examines it lovingly. It was the scalpel. Her autopsy scalpel. Their scalpel. They do not make Hallmark cards for this situation. <laughs> yeah. Again, that love between the two of them is just crazy, but it works so well. All right. Uh, this first one I'm going to do is, I mentioned earlier that Simon's on a blind date at one point in the book, and this is <laughs> this is from uh, <laughs> this is Simon listening to his date talk and, and kind of his reaction. Yeah, Simon says, while doing a very bad impersonation of an understanding nod. He flexes his left big toe, feeling the empty ring where he wishes a toe tag dangled. That is so great. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, and yeah, in some ways I feel like we're almost spoiling the book for people, but you know what? There's there's a great scene where the, the one of the other doctors or whatever you call them that work with him tells him to stop leaving notes on toe tags for people because it creeps them out. <laughs> And he's like, we never run out of toe tags. That's right. So. <laughs> Got another one? Um, sure. This is, uh, he's, Simon's interrogating somebody in his search for Jane Doe. And he says, Mr. Conway, you should really answer my questions. I'm not interested in practical concerns. I'm a man in love with a cadaver, and I have an electric saw in my hands. Yeah, that's not intimidating. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Here's a, here's a bit of a, a description of, of Simon Meeks himself. He creeps through the halls in his black suit, a perpetually dapper, if slightly tattered figure, a scarecrow always trying to get back to Oz. And Simon, in general, pretty much wears a black suit and a bowler hat, right? 
Mm-hmm. So he's white shirt, black tie, black suit, bowler hat. Uh, you know, very plain looking dude. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, it, it, yeah, I don't even know what to say. He's just the perfect character. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sit here and just gush about this guy. I have a huge Simon Meeks crush. You've got a crush on Simon Meeks. You really do. I do. I do. I do. I do. <laughs> All right, there's some things that come up throughout the book about Simon and his shadow, but this particular, so I want to explain that why this passage is important, even though it's about a different character. He runs, Dr. Reeves runs and runs, but wherever he goes, his shadow follows. We each have our very own shadow, Loveling. Sometimes it takes the prompting of another to turn it mean. Sometimes it grows tired of us all on its own. Sometimes there are other things that become like a shadow to us usurp its place or merge with it but they all share one trait these desperate dark shapes they always come tumbling after us always yeah to write so thoughtfully about something as simple as your shadow (laughs) it's just great stuff all right and i'm gonna throw another one out here real quick this one's really short and sweet and he uh as i mentioned before meeks has a a little problem with absinthe and uh there's two that I'm going to mention here. It's absinthe makes the heart grow fonder, which I thought was just just brilliant when thinking about him and his need for absinthe to get involved in in the in the dead water. And uh, later on, and I'm going to take this one totally out of context because the rest of it won't make sense to anybody. But he talks about the absinthe-minded thoughts. Good, and um, those types of plays on words and stuff. Uh, yeah, another place, and I I just grabbed this because those types of he does some neat little pop culture references and stuff like uh in one point he says happiness is a cold scalpel which i thought was a really great riff on the classic beatles uh, uh quote and then <laughs> this i have to say and i, I think i i don't know if livius mentioned to me or i live mentioned as livius but this is probably one of the the bits in the story that are in the book that i i admired the most because of of what it is in it so <laughs> I don't even remember exactly what the context around it was, but it's so fantastic that I had to, to kind of talk about it and explain it. But uh, the quote itself is, a plastic bag dances in the air, but fails to be beautiful. And uh, <laughs> and I read that and I was like, oh, that's clever. And I was like, my God, is that clever? Because like, if anybody has ever seen the movie American Beauty, there's this big and very pretentious and stupid part of it where this kid with a camcorder he's recording a plastic bag that's getting blown around in the air and he's talking about how beautiful it is and it's stupid in my opinion and it got a lot of grief afterwards like it worked in the movie but it got a lot of grief afterwards and um so josh puts this in in kind of a negative way where he says it fails to be beautiful and the cool thing the thing that i thought it was funny but then the thing that i thought was cool about it was is like he just tagged onto an image that's that's in a lot of people's heads already. So he painted a picture with just these few words uh, by by making a reference to that movie. So I thought that was really cool. Yes, very cool. And for our last one, we're going to team up for another edition of Booked Theater. Um, this is another quote. We had several quotes that overlapped um, this time, but this is one that we had. That's a two-person quote. So uh, Rob is going to kick it off as the as the part of Nick's who is the, the tattoo artist woman that uh, befriends Simon. And uh, I'm not going to do it in a woman's voice, but uh, yeah, I'll read next. So here we go. That's some addiction. Do our meditation sessions help? A little. I found my power animal. And? I dissected him. It helped. A little. Wow. Yeah. Awesome stuff. <laughs> Just just flat out fantastic yeah, that, that's definitely one of my favorite parts of the book like that little trans transaction where <laughs> he takes something that you know and just turns it into his own little twisted version of it that's love yep all right let's get into wrapping this up i think we've gushed enough let's uh let's do our final gushing and move on sounds good um i'll i'll start the wrap up uh, how's that sure i usually tell you to go first so i'll go first this time yeah. All right, I tried to keep it as straight as possible, but I'm just going to say straight out, I fucking love this book. Like I said before, um, probably easily, easily, without hesitation, top three books I've read this year. One of the best books I've read in a long time. And I don't, I can't find anything to criticize about it. Uh, it's incredibly, very thoughtfully well written. 
very clever and the story is great on so many levels i, I can't <laughs> i can't express enough how much of a treat reading this book was um i'm just giving it five stars without I, and and the really kind of twisted thing about it is i say that i probably knew it was getting five stars um about 60 percent into it because he could have just <laughs> even if he totally screwed up that last 40 percent, it still would have been an incredible book so uh, everything about it i loved i love the characters the story the way he wrote how clever it was everything was wonderful it's totally a five-star book um, it doesn't happen terribly often that we're in 100% agreement on everything, including our rating. But yeah, it's, it's five stars, easy five stars. And, and I'm with you. I, <laughs> I got a jump start on this book and I'm about 100 pages in. I called Rob and I was like, dude, this is some of the best stuff I've read in a really, really long time. I really hope he doesn't screw this up. Like was my thought. <laughs> like Rob said I had way too much invested in this book, like emotionally. Um Simon Meeks, um, one of the most fantastic characters I've ever read. Um, and like I said, you know, for those of you who've listened to you know, some of our earlier episodes or whatever, I mean, I put him right up there with Phineas Poe, which I mentioned earlier, and that's no small feat. I mean, there are, there are plenty of really good books I read that I can't remember the main character's name after, you know, a week or two. And, you know, as time goes by, like a lot more fades from memory. Um, Simon Meeks will be with me for a very, very long time. Um, this will also be one of the books that I add to my reread list, which I believe right now is currently at like four books that I read a second or third time and uh, Strangest in the Proportions going right on that list. So uh, fantastic, fantastic book. I highly recommend it to everybody as long as you don't get offended by lots and lots of corpse stuff. Yeah, that's it. There it is. Five stars unanimously from Booked. Yeah. Enthusiastically very enthusiastically it's only you know what this is our uh, our first like straight up novel five star yeah yeah you're right we did awesome. uh we agreed on warmed and bound yep uh la 1k la 1k yeah search of a city was the other one that we did five stars you're right first novel five star awesome stuff awesome all right let's talk a little bit about where you can get that book um, it is currently available. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be available in uh, in EPUB and Mobi format. Currently, you can get it at drivethroughfiction.com. There will be a link on the website. Uh, it's a whopping $4.99 for this book. Um, well worth every penny. Um, it's available currently in PDF, but if you purchase it in PDF, um, you will get the EPUB and Kindle format, or I'm, I don't know if it'll be your choice or whatever, but when they're available, you will get that for free if you purchase the PDF. So head over to drivethroughfiction.com. The book's called Strangeness in the Proportion. Drop your five spot and get one of the best reads you're going to get. Absolutely. And um, we'll have some links to where to find uh, find Josh and more information about him in general. Uh I know he he's a regular, not a regular, but uh, he's he's contributed to. There's another podcast called Drabblecast, which is uh, it's also literary related. It's uh, I think it's like a collection of I think they say weird authors or something like that. So uh, we'll throw up some links to that if you can see uh, where to get more Josh stories. I know he's been recently uh, sending out some short stories and stuff. So um, yeah, if we see anything, we'll link it up there very cool let's go ahead and uh move on to our uh, we have some news related stuff that we're going to talk about here you want to kick it off rob sure recently chris deal who we've had on the show a couple times and we've talked about a bit about some of his stuff uh had a story published over at thunderdome called burning in the light of the lord yeah thunderdome had uh, recently done a call for submissions on holiday disaster um themed stories and that was uh that was Mr. Deal's contribution. I read it just before the show, and I just haven't gotten around to it. It's been up for a couple of days. It's a really great story. If you want a, a good feel for uh, for what Mr. Deal does, and you haven't picked up uh, you know any of the the stuff we've recommended that he's in, there's a free peek for you over at Thunderdome. Yep, I'll link to it. It's short. It's probably a five minute read, um, but he does that Deal thing where he just packs a lot into that that space that he uses. So great story. I got to read it a few days ago, and uh, yeah, just another. Nice piece coming out of Chris Deal. In other um, writing-related news, um, Stephen Graham Jones, who is also a, a guest of our podcast, um, is uh, teaching a four-week master class at uh, over at Lit Reactor. 
It's called Your Life Story is Five Pages Long. And uh, it says, uh, Jones, uh, no, it doesn't say that. It says, <laughs> a four-week master class with Stephen Graham Jones that expands and perfects a class concept he taught for a single intensive week to an exclusive MFA group last summer. So that starts December 19th, so there's still a good uh, week or so for you to get in on that if you're interested, and then you can find that at litreactor.com. Mm-hmm. It's a limited availability thing, and I think it's about 400 bucks for the class, so if something that you think you're interested in, you probably want to go over there as quickly as possible, because I know that uh, with someone like Stephen Graham Jones, those spots are probably going to fill up real quick. Absolutely. We good on that? Yeah. Okay, and up next, uh, the dust hasn't even settled on Q.R. Markham and the whole scandal with uh, him plagiarizing. And uh, there's there's another plagiarism story in the news now. Brandon Teets over at Lit Reactor, he has an article about Lenore Hart, who uh, is under fire for plagiarism for the book she recently wrote called The Raven's Bride. Yeah, The Raven's Bride is published by St. Martin's Press, and uh, it's you know kind of based on... It's historical fiction um, based on the child bride of Edgar Allan Poe, who was his cousin that he wound up marrying. Um, And the book that uh, she allegedly, I say allegedly, and I do the quote marks thing, but you can't see it. (laughs) Is it like when you're waving your arms in the air? Exactly. (laughs) Um, That it's uh, plagiarized from a book called The Very Young Young Mrs. Poe. Which, at least this time, um, that's a book that came out in 1956, I think it is. So, I mean, at least it went and hit something 50 years old, unlike Markham, who hit something up that was very, very recent. Yeah, and, the, and in, in Tietz's article, which we'll definitely uh, link to in the post for this episode, he has a couple of examples which i'm not going to read because it's you know it's like a whole paragraph or whatever but that are that are strikingly similar and and the response actually from st martin's press is that um because this is the the subject matter is something that's so specific that there's not a lot of historical um material to draw from so there's going to be obvious similarities between books about something so specific and it would make sense that, you know, the book that she wrote is going to sound like the other book. But uh, <laughs> Brandon goes on at the end to talk about how some of the similarities are, are, are not just, I mean, it's almost word for word, some of these passages. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, it's probably is just some straight up plagiarism. Yeah, I, I went in to read a little more. And it, at first, I was a little iffy on the plagiarism because i started thinking like whatever historical references are being used so let's say there's a diary being used if you and i looked at a diary and there was a description of a you know a lakefront you know and it said with lush you know greenery and blue water i mean you know there's a good chance we'd probably both pull something very similar but there are some longer passages where literally one or two words are you know in, in five lines of text where two or three words are different and the rest of it is is you know is just verbatim so at first i was reading this and i thought the same thing you know if, if there's access to you know a diary or some letters um you know we read uh, uh in the garden of evil which mm-hmm. you know that was all ripped from letters so if somebody else were to go and, and do a story about that time and had their hand on the same letters you know you would have some of the exact same text do you follow what i'm saying absolutely like kind of right there but yeah some of it went on long enough that uh that the only changes were that um, the the most recent book, The Raven's Bride, was written in first person, and the uh, its predecessor was was written um, in in third person narrative. So, uh, you know, so some of the changes were I saw this versus she saw this. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll skip. So at first I was I was kind of leaning towards maybe not, but now it, it definitely looks that way. Yeah, when I, and it's funny because just like you, as I was reading the article, I was like, hey, this is redemption for the accused plagiarist. But then by the end, it's like, oh, yeah. And then Brandon actually links to another article um, or, or another, I guess, blog post where they talk more in depth about it. And I read through that a little bit. And yeah, yeah, it's looking like it's some plagiarism. Yeah. So, but St. Martin's Press is defending is defending their their decision and their author. So, they give them credit for at least you know bucking up. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, you know, it might be to their detriment, but um, at least they're they're standing up for the, you know, the 
at least they're pretending like they believe in her, you know, if, if just to save face or I don't know what it is, but it's nice to see if I were an author, I'd at least like to be supported by the press that, that accepted my book. The press that doesn't want to have to pull it off the shelves and offer refunds. Yeah. Maybe they think that if they, they've, yeah, maybe it's just, they're trying to avoid a scandal. I don't know. St. Martin's press. Their reaction is no, no, no. (laughs) That's, that's their reaction to to the plagiarism. (laughs) Allegations. No, no, uh-uh. So nope. QR Markham, you're not so alone anymore. Lenore Hart, uh, right there with you. And then here's the thing I have to ask you, Olivia. So this is a book about Edgar Allan Poe's wife, and the author's name is Lenore Hart. Do you think that's her actual name? No. No, I don't. Name? But I do, but I don't know because I also don't believe this is her first book, so I don't know how much of that is coincidental. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So maybe she only writes about Poe, but you know what? If only there were a device. Yeah, if only. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll post a little, uh, little follow-up after we're done recording when I'm writing the post for this. Okay. I just outed Wait. our magic. Everybody knows I make the post. Well, everybody knew anyway. I think. Yeah, because I'm way too lazy to do it. Oh yeah, no. She, uh, she is also the author of Becky: The Life and Loves of Becky Thatcher, The Treasure of Savage Island. Ordinary Springs, T-Rex at Swan Lake, Becky and now, what, god damn, what kind of crap does she write? Water Woman? <laughs> I don't even know what any of this is. Whoa. T-Rex at Swan Lake sounds fantastic. Well, that's good, because that's what we're reviewing next week. T-Rex at Swan Lake. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. We're probably not. We're not. I can say we're not. 100%. With confidence. Not going to do that. Okay. Alright. More plagiarism. More- what else do we more <laughs> to us? Not oh, yet. No, 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 no. Okay. Nope. I think we're that's it. Do you got anything else? Plagiarizing a good podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, just in keeping with uh with Water Woman and T Rex at Swan Lake, you know, I was trying to find what we're gonna read for the next show. I use I think I may have mentioned this before. I use this uh this email service that's always kinda like a day late and a dollar short, but it's uh it's called anynewbooks.com, and what they do is they kind of just aggregate lists and email them to you every, uh, well, for the books that come out on Tuesday, but apparently they can't get this email to me until Thursday, which is a little annoying at, uh, at uh, you know, some points. But um, and I just think of crappy book titles. One of the ones I came across, um, it's just this whole list for horror was horrible this week. But this one is a, a book by Mary Janice Davidson, and it is called undead and unemployed (laughs) that's fucking awful also something we're not you know maybe we should maybe (laughs) we should just read that for the next episode no we haven't we haven't really torn into anything no we have to get away from zombies and stuff i've heard feedback that we went a little too far with zombies um i'm pretty sure this is about vampires still the undead we have to go a little bit you know Oh, okay. To the living. Oh, yeah. so what did we do this week? We yeah, <laughs> guys we in love with corpse. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the main character was alive. <laughs> that's that's true. Yep, that's very true. Oh yeah. Oh, hold on a second. I got it from book list. Queen Elizabeth the first, also known as Betsy Taylor, is adjusting to life after death as a vampire, but she still needs a job. To satisfy her lust for sexy shoes, she lands in <laughs> she lands on in Macy's. <laughs> But one night she's attacked by Zit Remedy scented slayers who are targeting female vampires. <laughs> Come on, we gotta do this. <laughs> All right, um, here's here. We'll do homework like we did. Uh, like we did. Okay, and this is a perfect time. You can read it, <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell us how far you got into it. How's that? Uh, and wow. the tie-in for that is uh, I don't know if you remember from the last time you were where you kept saying kill james patterson yes well kill alex cross came out and you were you were telling our lovely audience that anybody could read the first 27 chapters mm-hmm. uh for free over at killjamespatterson.com or whatever yeah and uh uh did you see did you notice someone took us up on that i did i just didn't know if he was serious or not he was oh he did that's awesome really so uh for anybody who doesn't uh is not one of us who doesn't know what we're talking about <laughs> hang on a second <laughs> because <laughs> wouldn't it be great if we just ended the episode just like kind of like talking 
between each other and no one really knew what we were talking about isn't um, that how isn't that how they all end that, yeah they're pretty much it <laughs> we really devolve into this nonsense mm-hmm. um <laughs> Melanes Corbier uh our Netherlands uh best friend <laughs> and awesome guy on December 5th so right after we posted the episode uh he he posted a reply on our website uh scolding me for for saying a bunch of stuff wrong and then babbling on about Czechoslovakia and stuff like that but he said I'm on the Kill James Patterson free chapter bollocks lads so uh, I, I ignored it because I didn't know he was serious but <laughs> later on let's see December 8th so three days later <laughs> he posts another reply in the in the episode and it says I can't really get through Kill Patterson I must admit <laughs> wow so he tried props to him for trying i have to give him a lot of props for actually going ahead and doing it because i didn't think anybody would take us up on it from my understanding the dutch read a lot of garbage too so man that's got to be really bad (laughs) did you say read a lot of garbage yes i thought you said eat a lot of garbage like they 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 probably eat a lot of garbage too i don't know i don't know if they do or not but i don't know it's all wooden shoes and windmills man wooden shoes and windmills and you know what? I gotta have to give him credit though for for actually going ahead and doing that. I, I, thank you, Malaz. Thank you for for taking the time to do that. We were really worried that we were missing out on something. Evidently not. So now you know our curiosity is satisfied, and we didn't have to do anything to 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 get it. Very true. Now, if only we could figure out what we're doing for next week. Yeah. We will have an episode next week. We're just not sure what it is yet. Uh, we might. Uh, I'm gonna see. I've been talking with Josh a little bit informally, Josh Deach, whose book we just uh, finished reviewing and drooling over and ranting about. And um, he said he'd be interested in coming on and talking to us, so I'm going to see if we can set up uh, an interview with him that might be our our episode for next week, or it might just be something we throw in the middle if we find a different book to talk about. Ooh, bonus episode. I love bonus episodes. Yeah, because you don't have to edit them. That's correct. We don't, we, you know what, but when we do interviews, how much editing do you really have to do? It's only once me and you that we have to edit the crap out of anything. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, tune in uh, next time for uh, T-Rex at Swan Lake and uh, Josh Dietz. Deech. Deech. The Dietz on Deech. Deech. <laughs> we got to give you the Dietz on Deech. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, we got to get off of this episode. And I think we're in for like over an hour now. Yeah, Livius, so, tell everybody where they can uh, uh, reach us. You can reach us at bookedpodcast at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash bookedpodcast and Twitter that we're not using very frequently, but it's twitter.com slash bookedpodcast. Uh, I might add that we're not using it very frequently because Livius used to be the one that was the uh, the face of Twitter and I think he just kind of stopped at some point. <laughs> I posted something earlier this week. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, earlier this week, not every day. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you can find our episodes on iTunes, as always. You can also find them at the Zune Marketplace, where um, I think that we pretty much always jam up their servers with everybody downloading it from there, and that's why we never hear from anybody because they're still waiting. Bill Gates um, Bill Gates listens on the Zune. <laughs> when he's not busy building nuclear reactors for China or whatever. Um Yo, I'm, sh- I'm sure. This. I'm sure that. I'm sure that means something. And obviously, you can get us on Stitcher. Uh, download the Stitcher app for your smartphones, iOS, Android, WebOS, BlackBerry. Is there other ones? I think that's it. Um, it's a really great app, and it's a nice way to listen to any podcast, really, if you think about it. But we want you to listen to ours. And it's smart radio or some bullshit like that. It's smart radio for smart people who listen to book review podcasts. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, I don't normally I don't normally outro songs, but the one we're gonna drop that like you're gonna hear here in just a short thing, totally fitting for this episode. And I've been waiting for a reason to place on the podcast forever and ever and ever, and there will never be a better time. It's a uh, Cold Ethel by Alice Cooper. It's about a guy who's in love with a dead girl. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for another episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading.
Es como...